You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. To us. So uh, the gospels end when Jesus leaves. And Acts begin when Jesus leaves, and it's up to us now. Jesus continues to do his work, but he's not doing it himself. Now he's doing it through us or with us. And in a way, we believe that we are still in the chapter 29 of the book of Acts. The story continues to develop. We have not reached the ends of the earth yet. Even in 2023, there are places in this world where the name of Jesus has not been proclaimed, so we have not closed, in a way, the book of Acts. And I say in a way because we believe that the, uh, the Bible has been closed. There is nothing to add to it. Uh, but in an in a allegorical way, we continue Acts chapter 29. So, this is why we're, we're going through this book. And today, I want to uh, highlight a few things from this text. I have a few exhortations for us that we can learn, and also some encouragement uh, that, that we need from this text. And this text is an interesting test. The text is it's sort of an in-between text. If you have been a Christian for a long time, most of us remember Acts 1, and, or, or the text that we read last week, which is Jesus uh, spending 40 days with the disciples talking about the kingdom of God. And then we all famously know the uh, once Acts 1.8 that says that he will send us, uh, that we will proclaim the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We, we understand that. We remember that. But most of us jump immediately after that to chapter 2 of Acts, right? The falling of the Holy Spirit on the disciples. And this last section is not very popular uh, because people don't really see, uh, see it as a, as a good part. It's almost like you fast forward to the good parts. Okay, well, let's see how the, the Spirit fell on the tongues of fire and all those things. Uh, but I believe that this part that sometimes is easily overlooked has more Jews in it than what we, what we think. So, let's begin with verse 12. And right off the bat, we see that the disciples obeyed Jesus' command. Verse 12 says, and then, this is after they saw Jesus being lifted from them, and the two uh, gentlemen in white robes saying, Jesus is going to come back. Then, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. So the first thing that I want to uh, highlight for us is that they actually did obey Jesus and waited. They went back to Jerusalem, which was an order for Jesus. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. So they did that, and they waited. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what they did. And what I want to uh, exhort us to is to do the same. Last week, we talked about the importance of waiting, and I want to highlight that again. And I want to exhort us all as a church to obey like the apostles did. We need to trust the word of our, our Father and the word of Jesus, 
and take a moment to wait before we charge the hill. And waiting is not something that's popular today. But I believe that individually and as a church and because of what happened in the previous years, we need to meditate and take a moment to think how do we need to wait or should we need to wait or should we just be moving or what does it mean for us that we wait? But because the reality is that as people, our reaction is get to work, right? When you're in a meeting or where you are in your workplace or if you're in a sport uh, uh, or a team, uh, usually when somebody gives you an order and when somebody tells you this is your mission, you immediately want to get to work. You start, depending on your personality, you, want, you start making lists or you just want to charge demand or whatever you need to do. Some of us have the inclination of, all right, Jesus told us it's time to get to work. But let's think about what Jesus did with them. Let's go back to the previous section for a moment. Jesus comes back and basically gives the disciples a 40-day break. This is something that a lot of commentaries overlook. Let's think for a moment. You spent three years with this amazing teacher, and you're for three years traveling all over the place, you're, you're seeing him heal people. He's teaching you things and, and thousands of people that are, that are just your, your jaw drops when he talks. But at the same time, he's been persecuted. He's having confrontations with all, all the religious leader that you grew up respecting. And there's miracles happening. And you're, you're spending three years on this experience that is incredible. Think, put yourself in a moment in the shoes of the disciples. They spent three years with Jesus, seeing and hearing and going to places they never thought of. And then one day, Jesus said, okay, let's go to Jerusalem. And they were like, okay, this is another trip to Jerusalem like we've done before. They entered Jerusalem, and in a matter of three to four days, the whole thing, three years, come crashing down. Literally, they saw this person who was walking on water and calming storms being punished and say nothing. They saw Jesus being beaten and do nothing about it. They saw him being crucified and they were right there. And you know what the reaction was? They scattered. They were afraid. This is what the apostles went through when Jesus was crucified. Then he dies. Maybe when he was standing or when he was crucified, they were all like just waiting like, wait, no, he's going to do something. No, no, I, I'm pretty sure he's done it. Like, look, he's going he's gonna to walk out. He would, there were so many things probably going through their minds. Nothing happened. And they buried Jesus. And then one day passed, nothing Two days, nothing. What's going on through these people's minds during those days? They were like, he just healed a, like a man with lepra, a leprosy. He just did this in the ocean. 
What, what happened? And then they saw a horrific scene. They saw his ma their master bleeding naked in public. And then he resurrects and shows himself back to them. They are in shock. I mean, if you're a psychologist, they needed real help. They were like, what just happened? This is a scene that is not going to be erased from their memories ever. Like some of us have been in accidents, and they, those, those images stay with us forever. But this was horrible. This was your master. And you saw him suffer in a way that you never thought of. And then he dies and comes back to life, and you're like, what? Are you, is, there, is it true? For, like, what, can I see it? And Jesus comes back to them, and guess what? He doesn't say, all right, guys, I told you, you never understood, but okay, let's get back to work. Peter, you go here, you this dude, let's fill, let's, let's, let's make a list. And he doesn't do that at all. He comes back, and he eats with them. He spends 40 days teaching them in the upper room just with them. It's almost like he gave them a sabbatical. And Jesus understood these people just went through hell. Because, yeah, Jesus went through hell, yes, but he defeated hell and he is a king. But these people are human, like fully human. They have no divine in them, just like us. And if, if we actually think about it, Jesus gave him 40 days to teach them, to calm them down, to let them think. And then he leaves. And what, what were Jesus' last words? All right, time to work. No. Even after those 40 days, Jesus' last words were, wait, not yet. And we don't see this. Especially in the Western culture, this is so foreign for us. This is about like, oh, all right, enough. Like, okay, I get it. Thank you, but we need to get to work. Thank you for your suggestion, Jesus. There is a lot of things that we need to do. I mean, you said, where? Jerusalem? Okay, well, we can try Jerusalem. Judea? Eh, maybe. Samaria? Uh, it's uncomfortable. We're going to have to really work for that one. The ends of the world? Like, oh my God, there's only 12 of us, maybe 120. I don't know how we're going to do this. We don't have time. We need to start yesterday. And Jesus said, wait. Again. And what I want us to do is think of this concept of waiting. Because we don't see waiting as something that, re that, that is obedience to God. But sometimes waiting and not immediately getting to work is the most obedient thing we can do for God. Think of this. As a society, we are not used to waiting at all. We talk about the DMV as if it's the pit of hell just because we have to wait. <laughs> right? Nobody likes waiting. Everywhere you go, go to the grocery store. If there's a line, there's a self-checkout line, which is supposed to be quick. And you can see people like getting angry because somebody's like, come on, people, what's the problem here? Like, 
you're already talking to the manager to open another. It, people are just like, let's go, let's go. I moved to Manassas and people like beeping here. I don't know why, but I've been beeped at more than in so many other years. Uh, everyone is in a rush. But if we think about it as a country, as a church, as individuals, most of us have been through some really difficult years, especially the last two. Some of us have found out about illnesses. Some of us have found that some of our leaders were leaving. Some of us lost loved ones. Some of us have our marriages and our families shaken up. What does it mean for us to wait? This is my first exhortation for us today. That's the first thing that the apostles did. They, they believed the words of Jesus and waited. But I want to make sure we understand that I'm not saying we should not do anything. Because this is not what the text says. They waited, but that doesn't mean that they just didn't do anything. The waiting, in fact, had some interesting elements in them that are helpful for us. And if we move on to verse 13, we will see that they entered the upper room when they were staying. And then it names all the apostles. And then it names... Uh, Mary and all the women and the brothers of Jesus. And uh, actually, verse 15 says there were about 120 people there. They didn't only waited. They gathered. And this is important for us. They didn't only wait at each other. They could have just all go to their own place. Like, okay, Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. Okay. See you guys, when the Holy Spirit comes, we can probably reconvene. That's not what they did. They gathered. They were not each one on their own homes doing their devotionals in the morning with coffee and waiting for the Spirit to come individually. No. They gathered in a place. And this is one of my, my, this is my second exhortation. Let's just wait together as we gather. Let's wait as we uh, see what God is going to do with us, but let's not scatter. Let's just come closer. Let's understand that this is not something we're going to accomplish individually. I always say that Christianity is not an individual sport. Christianity is a team sport, and it's a really big team sport. Being a follower of Christ means locking arms with other people. And locking arms with people that are different from you. I can tell you that Peter and Matthew were not similar in any shape or form. One of them was a fisherman with a strong character who had probably no filters in his mouth. And the other one was a tax collector who abandoned Jewish tradition and was an abomination by Jewish standards. They had nothing in common. But they were both in the same team. So how can, we, how can we be exhorted today by this text and understand that we need to wait, but also gather? 
and not just be together in, in one physical place. Verse 14 says that they were in one accord. Other translations say of one mind. Other translations say in one spirit. That means they were not only gathered physically in one place, but they were also in communion. They had community. They have uh, a common unity. They had one mind, one purpose. And if you notice, we haven't, we haven't heard anything about them already having planning sessions. And they were not already dividing. Uh, okay, you're going to go, Peter, you're here, and we're going to take teams. This team is going to take this, and you're going to be in charge of the food. And you're, th there was none of that yet. They were just gathered in one accord. And this by itself is difficult to do because if churches are good at something, it's disagreeing. We find ways to disagree about the most minute thing in the world. I've heard of church splits about the color of the carpet. This, I'm, seriously, if there's one thing we can be good at is disagreeing. And these guys obeyed, waited, gathered, and were in one accord. And we just read through it as if it's nothing. But if you've been in church long enough, this is, this is really hard to do. What did they agreed on? They agreed about Jesus. They all obeyed Jesus. They all knew who was in charge, who was Jesus. They all gathered because of Jesus. And they prayed to Jesus. They knew they needed Jesus. And my exhortation to us is let's gather and be in one accord about him, about his mission, about who he is, about our need for him. Let's agree on this, which is the biggest issue. Who is Jesus and what he wants for us? The house and the little details, we can work through. But let's never get into a way... Uh, 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 a mindset that my way is the way or the only way. And then the, my third exhortation, and uh, I don't think we're going to be able to finish, um, is that part of what made them be in agreement is prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They were not just waiting, doing nothing. They were not just gathered just to chill and hang out. They were not just in one accord about uh, that they were all in the same city. No, it was all about Jesus, and they prayed together. So I want to encourage us all to depend on Jesus in prayer, to pray depending on Jesus. Think of this, and I just mentioned there were 120 people gathered in that room. This is not a large crowd, and they knew that the mission from Jesus was to reach the world. This was impossible. They were probably asking themselves, how is this going to happen? There's only 120 of us. How are we going to reach the world? Like, even Jerusalem, I'm pretty sure it was really hard. And they devoted themselves to prayer because they recognized this is an impossible mission unless we get help from Jesus, from God. And nothing has changed. 
Our mission today continues to be impossible. Reaching our city is not possible without God or prayer or the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. Some of you know that um, thanks to Guillermo, I was able to find temporary housing in Georgetown South. If you don't know, Georgetown South is uh, an area of the city that our church has been trying to help for a while. And uh, honestly, I drove through Georgetown South before, uh, and then I attend, we, we had a game, uh, a soccer game with some of the kids. And it's one thing to be from the outside. I'm living in it. It's been the two weeks, almost three weeks now. I don't remember exactly, Carla. Three weeks. I've been, now that I'm there, seeing it firsthand, guys, it's so difficult. And it's not Georgetown South only. I'm there, and I'm walking around or driving around. I haven't walked around. I've just walked around the the, the park area with my kids. But driving around the area, it's just your mind can't stop thinking, how can we reach this place? And then we get the, the newsletter from the, from the organization that leads the center or the, the community. And you read, and there's at least four to five different churches already doing anything from giving clothes, food, uh, camps, tutoring, VVS, um, school supplies, all kinds. And then my wife told me the other day, there's a Catholic priest just walking around. And then you see all the other Hispanic churches also walking around doing evangelism, and I can recognize them because they all have ties and suits, and the women have long skirts. And, and, and I'm like, this is not a place where the gospel has not come. Like, there is a church presence already. But then you look around the neighborhood, and you're, you ask yourself, What's ha- like, is, is, is there any, is anything happened because of this? Should we as a church be doing the same thing? And then you, you interact with the neighbors and with the people and you have conversations and, and I'm just overwhelmed. I really don't know what to do as a church individually. There's a guy that always comes and asks for money, and I'm trying to converse with him, but he's mostly high all the time. And then there's these little kids that spend a long time in my house, which is scary because they spend hours and hours, and we don't even know where their parents are with us. And I'm like, how do we approach this monster with 20 million different forms and problems? And this is not only Georgetown South. This is all of Manassas and all the world, and I don't know. And then I look at my own self, and I'm like, I also need to have an intervention or something. I have my own issues, and I need to work through some of them and insecurities. And, and honestly, there is really nothing else to do but to reach out to Jesus and pray and be humble and say, God, help us. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us. Where are we going to go? How are we going to do it? Is this the best way? And my last exhortation for us today is we need to pray. We need to pray independence, depending on Jesus. We need the helper. Chapter 2 is about to come, but we need the helper. And I want us to understand that it's not just a thing that happened. No, it is the thing that happened. And without that, none of what we're doing would be possible. We need to pray. 
And sometimes we don't think it works. And I'm the first one to, to confess that. I have a hard time with prayer because sometimes I'm like, it's not actually happening. But the reality is that that's how we are here today in 2023. It's been working behind our eyes or in places that we can't see for 2,000 years. Just because things are not happening like I want them to happen or the way I conceive or the way I pretended or I anticipated were going to happen, that doesn't mean anything. God is working. He's been working. And he worked back then through 120 people to reach all to Manassas, Virginia in 2023. And what is it that they did? They prayed. And we're going to see it repeatedly in the book of Acts. They were gathered. They were praying. They were, they were praying the whole time. I want to end by saying, let's pray because he is listening. Jesus is listening. Hebrews 4.16 says that we have a confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we pray, if we draw near to the throne of grace, we are going to receive mercy and grace in the time of need. And as a church, and individually, we are in a time of need. And honestly, I don't care if your church is a million people. We always are in a time of need. We need Jesus all the time. And he's listening. 1 Peter 3 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's us, the people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus. We are the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. We need to pray. That's what they devoted themselves to. Before they planned anything, they prayed. And that's what I want all of us to hear and do. Philippians 4. Instead of being anxious, instead of walking around Georgetown South Chewy and thinking, maybe we should do this, maybe I should do that, maybe I should talk to this person, maybe if we implement this, maybe we, instead of doing that, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Maybe we just need to pray for these people, and God will guide us and show us what is it that we need to do. We won't have time to, to, to finish all the encouragements, and we can uh, do part, part two next week. But so far, I want to remind us, the exhortations for us today in this text are, let's wait in obedience to Jesus, let's gather and be of one mind in Jesus, and let's pray depending on Jesus. And I would like for all of us to take some time to pray right now. But before we pray, I want to make sure that we hear something that is important for us. As a church, we don't ever want to preach a sermon when we do not fully explain what our message is. What is our point? What is the point of praying and, and, and waiting is that we want to spread the gospel, the evangel, the good news of salvation. 
And if you are here and you're listening to me and you're not a Christian, I want to make sure you hear that, that the reason why we do everything here is because God told us to preach this message, the gospel of good news that we are all sinners, all of us. And we are sinners because we are running in the opposite direction of God. Sin is what we do that separates us from God. Sin is saying, God, I am not going to listen to what you say because I think that what I think is better than what you say. So instead of following God's rules, we turn our backs to God and we walk away from him. That is sin. And sin separates us from God. This is our, the sin is that we are our own God and we do what we like and we disregard what Jesus says or God says. And all of that separates us from God. And sin will separate you from God to the point that you will end up in eternity without God. And that place is called hell. The place where there is absolutely no trace of who God is is called hell. There is a place that God is not present and a place of suffering that is eternal where there is fire all the time because you will suffer because there's no good in it. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no goodness. There is none of that. The opposite of that is all there. And that's where you're walking towards if you separate yourself from God. And everyone, all of us are walking that way. But God loves us so much that he gave his only son to rescue us from him, from that sin, from ourselves, and bring us back to the Father. And there's nothing we need to do to receive that salvation. God sent his son to rescue us and provide salvation. And everything that we were supposed to do to go back to God, Jesus did in our place. He lived the right way. He died the horrible death that we deserved. And he defeated Satan, death, and sin on our behalf and grabs us and takes us back to the Father. And all he says is, believe in me, repent from your sins, and you will have eternal life. And I want to offer this good news. It's not about your behavior. It's not about what you do. It's about recognizing that you need God, and he will take you back to himself through Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. And that is the message that we want to take everywhere. So if you're here and you're listening to this, I want to invite you to maybe later talk to me if you want to hear more about this. I would love to talk to you and, and, and uh, explain this. And it's also okay if you don't agree. We can always talk, and I'm more than willing to hear your objections or, or, or questions. But for right now, I want us to pray. So I'm going to ask you to stand up before uh, we, we finish with worship and before, before the band comes up or today, Kim and Andrew, um, I want to ask just three people to come and pray for us. And uh, you can use this mic if that's okay. And I want three people, just, just not, we're not going to take too long. We want to pray first for our church. Just pray that God will bless our church, that God will grow our church, because our mission is impossible. Number two, someone to pray for our city, just for the message of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to guide us in our city and to soften our hearts for our city. And the last one is someone that will come and thank God for his faithfulness 
because he's been faithful throughout this past years. So I need three volunteers to come.